Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 1 through 12, and I'll be reading from the New International Version. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and sat down. The disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. It never seems to end. We often carry around our baggage, but rarely stop to count our blessings. Scripture says we have been given every spiritual blessing in Christ. God created you for blessing, and he created you to be a blessing. Sometimes we just need to see from a different perspective. We are truly blessed, and that's what the whole idea of this series is that we are in right now. We're calling it blessed to be a blessing because God doesn't just bless us for our benefit. Certainly he does that with everything we need in Christ Jesus, but he also wants us to be channels of his blessings to the world around us. I don't know if you noticed, but on our marquee sign, we have our series written down there. It says, blessed to be a blessing. I think it says Sunday sermon series. Well, on Tuesday of this past week, a guy just pops into the church office. He said, I was driving by, I saw your sign, blessed to be a blessing. He said, in my church, we're talking about the same thing. We're talking about how blessed we are, how we need to pass those blessings on to others. He said, and I just want to thank you for what you're doing, what you're talking about. And then he held out a $20 bill and he said, I want to bless you all. And he wouldn't take no for an answer. Our administrator, Michael, was talking to him and, and I don't think Michael really knew what to do, but when someone hands you money and you know, you take the money. And so this guy gives $20 to bless us this past week. Michael came and told me, and I said, hey, there's the minister lunch fund right there that we are newly established. If anyone wants to contribute to the minister lunch fund, we now have that established. You can do that. But it's just this idea of blessing others, of recognizing how blessed we are and then passing those on to others. On Tuesday, that was certainly an unexpected blessing. It was kind of odd, in fact, a little bizarre. That doesn't happen every day. It was unexpected. That's what we're going to talk about today, unexpected blessings. But it may not be what you think. So as we think about this, I want you to project into next year. It's coming up very soon. Are you ready for a new year? In Scotland and other parts of Europe, for many, many years, some have observed a tradition called first foot. The idea is that the first person that comes through your doorway in your home on New Year's Day is the bringer of good tidings and good luck and good fortune. 
And so it wasn't uncommon for young boys in a neighborhood or a community to go to all of the houses and to walk into these houses and recite a very specific poem. And this, this thing that they said was a blessing on the home. And it had to do with long life and good health and that everyone in the home would have plenty of, and this is, it's been a while, but plenty of butter and beef and herring and all the necessities of life. I guess supply chains were an issue back then, and so just as they are today. And so there was this, this prayer of blessing spoken over the house that the next year would be full of good fortune and blessing and good luck. Well, as a child in my home growing up, we didn't observe, observe first foot, but we had another tradition that was supposed to bring good luck on the new year. My mom insisted on observing this archaic and, if you ask me, borderline abusive tradition of making us eat black-eyed peas on New Year's. Anybody else have to do this? So we weren't the only ones abused as children, okay. I don't know who came up with this idea, probably the marketing guy for Black Eyed Peas, kudos to him. But the idea was, if you eat Black Eyed Peas on New Year's, then you're going to have good luck and good fortune throughout the year. I distinctly remember, as a child, year after year, the joy of Christmas followed up by the trauma of New Year's. You say, well, what's the big deal? It's just a few black-eyed peas. You don't understand. I was a very picky eater, but it's more than that, okay? Even to this day, I have a strong aversion to peas, beans, anything in the legume family, I think, anything like that. The combination of the texture and the taste, it, it just doesn't go well for me, okay? Even to this day, and people on staff can, can testify to that. I've had Kent Risley eat my beans for me in a situation. I owe Kent a lifetime for that. I just, I don't do beans, I don't do peas. Maybe it goes back to my childhood, maybe it goes back to New Year's. That's what I'm thinking right now as I process this, the trauma. And so I would sit over my plate staring at this mound of black-eyed peas, trying to negotiate my way out of it thinking the whole time I'd rather give up a whole year of good luck for these five minutes of misery right here. It's not worth it to me. My mom wasn't even superstitious. It was just something that was important to her, and I think she liked to watch me squirm a bit. You know, call it good luck. Call it good fortune. Call it blessing. Most of us, as we look ahead into this new year, we want things to go well, don't we? Especially given the last couple of years. <laughs> we need some positive things to happen. We need things to be good in our world and certainly in our own lives. That's what we want. But most of us are people of faith, not people of superstition. Most of us don't think or believe that if we observe some silly ritual that good luck will come our way. And we certainly don't believe if we just sit back that good luck and good fortune and blessing will come walking into our doorway, right? Right? We live in a country that says, if you want something, you go get it. You make your own luck. You want good fortune, you want blessing, then you build your life in such a way that you receive that. If you want the good life, then it's out there. All you have to do is go and get it, right? But let me ask you a question. 
Where do you find the good life? Where do you find the good life? If I gave you a a piece of paper and I said, okay, you have two minutes to write, I just want you to write down what it is that you consider the good life and where do you find it? What does it look like? Where do you discover it? Where do you get it? What would you write down? We all know the world has a very specific profile, don't we? I mean, the world knows how to answer that question. We grow up and live in the world, and so we often answer that question like the world does. If you have plenty of money, you will have the good life. If you have plenty of stuff, well, what's plenty? Well, whatever you have is not enough, so you need more. So if you continually drive and work and you're determined and you pour yourself into something that will give you something back, that will make you happy, then you will begin to have the good life. If you have power and influence and social standing, people look up to you, you make a name for yourself, you will be happy. That's the good life. Well, what about other people? Well, you need some relationships, but the purpose of those is to make you feel good about you, to do things for you, to talk about you, to meet your needs. And so if anyone doesn't do that, or if they get in the way of you promoting self, or even worse than that, if they hurt you in some way, then you just disregard them, you get rid of them, you ignore them, because this is about you. That's what the world says the good life is, right? Promote me, preserve me, meet my needs. I wonder when we look in Scripture... When we look at the kingdom of God, if it's possible that God has a different version of the good life. Would God's profile of what it means to be truly blessed be a little bit different than the world's? And because we are so often susceptible to the world, is it possible that God's profile of the good life might be different from ours? That all the things that we are chasing in this life, all the things that we're pursuing, all the ways that we define what real life really looks like, that maybe we're misguided. I think God has a different version that we need to consider. In John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus uses this metaphor of being the good shepherd. And he talks about, you are the sheep, and I'm the shepherd, and I take care of you, and I protect you. And one of the things he says in John chapter 10, verse 10, is that I have come to give you abundant life, life to the full, eternal life, real life, a life of blessing, the good life, you might say. And we read those words, and we want whatever it is Jesus is offering. Abundant life, I like abundance, I like excess, that sounds good. Life to the full, give me that. But our problem is, how do we define that? How do we view what life to the full really is? So in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus explains what the good life is. I think Jesus explains, as he explains what life in God's kingdom is, he explains what abundant life is, a life full of blessing and the world hears this and the world sometimes sees this lived out and they don't get it and sometimes we see and think like the world and so we we read this and we see this and we go I don't know that doesn't sound right that doesn't sound like a a good life that doesn't sound like a life of blessing 
After all, aren't we supposed to create our own luck and go get that good life? And what you're saying doesn't really match what I'm thinking. And Jesus, as he preaches this message, this famous Sermon on the Mount, he is explaining and describing life in God's kingdom. And with every statement, every shocking statement that he says, he turns the world's wisdom and values upside down. And he leaves a crowd of people, and he leaves us even today, scratching our heads thinking, boy, I don't know. That just doesn't seem to align with what I feel inside. That doesn't seem to match my truth. That doesn't seem to go along with what the world is putting out there. And Jesus says, you're right, it's not, because this is life in God's kingdom, and I am revealing the kingdom of God to you, the kingdom of of heaven is at hand it is near it is in the life the teachings the death the resurrection of Jesus he is revealing the kingdom of God and it stands in contrast to life in this world so at the end of the sermon on the mount this is what he says chapter 7 verse 13 enter through the narrow gate for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to what? To life, to abundant life, to eternal life, to a life full of blessing. And only a few find it. We so often read that scripture through the lens of heaven. We think, well, the road to heaven, that escalator, it's it's pretty narrow. Not many people are going to find it. And, And there's some of that in here, but it's broader than that. It's deeper than that. He is talking about discipleship. He's saying life in the kingdom of God looks so different from life in the world that few will choose to live that way. Few will choose to live that life of blessing. They would rather chase what they think is the good life over here. This road, this path is narrow. Discipleship is the road to good life, to blessing. That's what he says. It is the road that leads to real abundant life. If you want to live a blessed life, it is found only in God's kingdom. And what it means to be in God's kingdom means to be a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus. Not living according to the world's values, but living according to kingdom values. That's discipleship. Jesus said, you want to follow me? Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me that's the path of discipleship and Jesus says that is a life of blessing so he starts the sermon on the mount with what we call the beatitudes a word that means blessed in latin the beatitudes and right right out of the gun right up front Jesus turns everything upside down doesn't he This is what he says. We read it a minute ago. Let's read it again. Matthew 5, verses 1 through 12. And as we go through this, I want you to let Jesus' words enter into your mind and possibly challenge your view of the good life. Your preconceived ideas, probably shaped by the world, maybe shaped by your past, maybe shaped by other influences, what the good life really is. And just see how Jesus' words align with your thinking and your pursuits in life. Jesus says these words he saw the crowds he went up on a mountainside and sat down his disciples came to him and he began to teach them he said this blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted 
Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's pause there. It is remarkable to me that in this revolutionary message of Jesus revealing the kingdom of heaven that he starts with what? Blessings. He doesn't start with a story. He doesn't start with commands. He doesn't start with rebukes. Some of us would do that, right? You're having a, a, a talk with your kids and you start with, why did you do this? You shouldn't have done that. Stop doing this. Jesus doesn't do that. He starts with blessings for this crowd, this nondescript, no-name, needy crowd who have no idea that blessing is available to them. In their minds, blessing, the good life, life of abundance, that's for the religious elite. That's for the powerful. That's for the rich. That's for those who have social standing. And now Jesus says, blessing is available to you. That is revolutionary. That changes everything. He begins with blessings. And he shares this startling realization that life in God's kingdom is very different than life in the world. When the world says to be blessed is to be powerful and privileged and happy, Jesus says true blessing comes to the most unexpected people in the most unexpected ways. Unexpected blessings. Not what you think. Not what we expect. You see, Jesus challenged his first century audience and by extension challenges us to take a hard look at what the good life really is. Now, if you have looked at this or studied this at all, the Beatitudes specifically, you have probably heard somewhere along the line that that word blessed can be translated as happy. And that's true, sort of. And some simple to read or, or some translations even actually translate it that way. Happy are the poor in spirit. But to me, that word just doesn't quite get there. It just doesn't do the word blessed justice. Because happiness has so much psychological baggage with it, doesn't it? Happiness is circumstantial. Happiness is temporary. I am happy when the weekend comes. I am happy when my team wins the game. I am happy when I got what I asked for for Christmas. I am happy when I eat my favorite meal or favorite pie. Happiness just doesn't quite get there. And yet, when we think about Jesus offering the abundant life, life to the full, isn't that where our mind goes? Ah, I want to be happy. I deserve to be happy. How can I be happy? And Jesus says, no, I'm talking about life to the full. I'm not talking about temporary or circumstantial happiness. That's fine. I'm talking about something deeper, more profound. I'm talking about this sense of contentment, this deep abiding joy. I'm talking about what the Hebrews would use in their word would be shalom, this, this peace 
that says, you know what, everything's okay. Everything is better than okay. Everything is good because I'm with God. To be truly blessed is to have God's favor even when your circumstances are not favorable. Ponder on that for a minute. You see, that's deeper than temporary happiness. That's something else. Even when life isn't going well, even when my situation is tough, I can be blessed and know that I am blessed because blessed is not temporary happiness. It's something deeper. It's a sense of contentment that I am with Jesus. See, now we're starting to get at this counterintuitive, countercultural idea of abundant life. In God's kingdom, we are free to live these kinds of lives. The kind of life that Jesus described in the Sermon on the Mount, not to earn God's favor, but because we already have it, to live out of that place of being blessed. We can reflect him, we can reflect his son, Jesus, when we live this way. Don't read the Beatitudes wrong. They are not a recipe for happiness. It's not a formula for contentment. It's not a checklist If you went to the store this past week, if you were brave enough to do that, you know, there were people everywhere, and you probably had a list. I did that. had certain things. i got to go get these things, and if I can get these things, if the store has them, and I can get out in a, you know, relatively short amount of time without too much hassle, it's a success. That's not what the Beatitudes are. We don't have a list that we check off, and we're trying to find them. We're trying to secure them, and if I can just get at least most of them, then I'm going to be okay. (coughs) That's not what this is. Jesus is describing life in his kingdom. This is what life in the kingdom of God looks like. And that kind of life is a blessed life. It's an abundant life. Someone said that this isn't good advice, it's good news. You see the difference? This isn't good advice, this is good news. Life in God's kingdom looks this way and it is a blessed life. It's the best way to live your life. It's an abundant life. Jesus says that blessing comes to people who live in God's kingdom through Jesus. But notice he says the realization, the fulfillment of some of those blessings may come now, but they also may come later. Did you notice that? Those who mourn will be comforted. The meek will inherit the earth. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled. Anybody here struggle with delayed gratification? We want what we want, and we want it now. Anybody not uh, want to wait to open your Christmas presents? Any of you kids? Try to uh, talk the parents into opening one present early trick? That hardly ever works. We don't like to wait. See, the world says, okay, I can go with you on the gratification thing. Yeah, that sounds like the good life. Whatever I desire, whatever gratifies me, yes. But that adjective delayed? I don't think so. We want it now. And Jesus says some of our blessings will be fully realized later. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled. Those who mourn will be comforted. But wait, I don't think that means it's only in the future. You remember in this same message, Jesus, when he's teaching us how to pray, pray that my will is done on earth 
as it is in heaven. Jesus is bringing heaven to earth, and God's people represent the kingdom of heaven. And so those who mourn, yes, they will be comforted, but they also will find comfort here from God and from God's people. And those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled, yes, in the future, but even now, they will get a foretaste of heaven. You see, it's not just later. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is, is now and it's then. It's, it's here and it's there. It's both. And the blessings are fully realized later, but that doesn't mean they don't also come now. So Jesus redefines the blessed life, the good life, a life of abundance. And this unique way of life the world doesn't understand, the world doesn't adopt, and yet it is truly the life of blessing. And so let's just run through very quickly these Beatitudes. Again, this is not a formula, it's not a checklist, this is a description of life in God's kingdom. He said, the blessed life, a life of blessing, is for those who are poor in spirit. Poor in spirit. In Luke's version, he actually just says poor. Again, these are people who think, I have no access to blessing. And now all of a sudden, wait, if I'm poor, if I'm poor in spirit, and I think Jesus is talking about spiritually here, this is the person who realizes he or she has nothing to offer. I'm not good enough. I don't know enough. I can't do enough good. I enjoy this big meal, and then the check comes to the table, and I look at it, and I realize I have no way of paying that check. Has that ever happened to you? You forget your wallet. You don't have enough money. That's a weird feeling, isn't it? You start scrambling in your mind, what can I do? Can I borrow some money? Can I go wash dishes? Can I, can I do something? So the check comes. You have no way of paying it. You can't work it off. You can't earn it. You can't say, I'll pay you later. What do you have to do? You have to rely on someone else to pay the price for you. You are spiritually bankrupt. Now the world hears words like poor and bankrupt and needy and they say no no that is not the good life. That is just the opposite of the good life. And yet Jesus says that's where blessing is found in realizing that you can't do it. Well I, I can be pretty good and then God will meet me halfway. Nope. You can't pay any of it. You can't do it. You are spiritually poor. You are bankrupt. Poor in spirit. He says the blessed life is also for those who mourn. Again, an upside down reality for the world to, to accept. Those who mourn. Some versions actually say happy are those who are sad. <laughs> it helps you see the contrast there, the paradox. It doesn't make sense, does it? If I'm sad, somehow I'm happy. Remember, we're not talking about temporary happiness. We're not talking about circumstantial happiness. We're talking about something deeper, more profound. And I don't think he's just talking about mourning the loss of people we love. That probably plays into it. But in the context, he's talking spiritually when we realize that we are spiritually broke, that we have nothing to offer, that sin 
separates us from God and it damages our relationship with others, that that brings us sorrow and sadness. That we have enough self-awareness to see that we are broken, that this world is broken, it is fallen, and it makes us sad. We grieve, we mourn Satan's influence in this world, sin's effect on this world. He says the blessed life is also for those who are meek, those without an inflated sense of self. The meek are humble. They let others go in front of them. They adopt the golden rule as their rule of life. They know their place. And they don't try to push ahead to the front of the line. And it's not about making a name for themselves as much as declaring and proclaiming the name of Jesus. The world says meekness sounds like weakness. And that is not the good life. But in God's kingdom where things seem upside down he says the blessed life is for those who are meek for those who hunger and thirst for righteousness and finally the world would say okay i see some motivation here you're moving somewhere you're hungering for something you're desiring something the things of the world power influence all those things that make you happy no righteousness seeing that there is so much sin in this world, so much sin in my life. I want that to be made right. I want the wrongs that I see in our world, the injustices, to be done away with. I want things to be made right in this world. That's what I desire. More than I desire the things of the world, I desire that things be made right in the world because there are so many things that are wrong. And this isn't a a self-produced righteousness. Remember, I think a lot of what Jesus is doing in the Sermon on the Mount is he is contrasting and really combating the Pharisees. The Pharisees had this self-righteousness. Look how good we are. Look how much we know. If only you could aspire to be half of what we are. When Jesus says to hunger and thirst for righteousness, it's not a self-induced or self-produced righteousness. It is one that comes only through Jesus. It says, blessed are the merciful. When judgment and justice is what we want to happen, the merciful say, nope, I will show grace and mercy. To be merciful is to be forgiving, to show patience and compassion and kindness. The world says, if you're merciful, that puts you in a spot to be taken advantage of, and that is not wise. Jesus didn't just say to yield and submit to others. That's what he did. He was merciful. And because of his mercy, we are blessed. And one of the ways that we can pass on the blessing to other people is to simply be merciful to them, be kind to them, show compassion, be forgiving, see the best in others. Blessed are the pure in heart, and here, I, I think he's talking specifically about being, being focused, being single-minded, having your heart fully in this life in God's kingdom. Pure in heart means not trying to live with one foot in God's kingdom and one foot in the world. And whatever benefits me, whatever kind of helps me, that's kind of where I will be. That's not pure in heart. In James chapter 4, there's a great commentary on this whole idea of being pure in heart. 
And James says, don't be friends with the world. And then in James 4, verse 8, he says, purify your hearts, you double-minded people. You're trying to think like God thinks, but you're also trying to think like the world thinks. You need to have purity of heart. You need to be focused on Jesus. That's a life of blessing. Blessed are the peacemakers. Is that needed in today's world? He says they will be called children of God when you infuse peace into situations that are so highly conflictual. You represent your heavenly Father. As a child of God, they will be called children of God. You represent the nature of God when you bring peace to a situation. You see, peacemakers don't stir up drama just for the sake of having drama. They don't make situations more difficult. They de-escalate, not escalate conflict. In our world, there is so much conflict. Sylvan prayed just a few moments ago so much division. If you want to be someone who represents the kingdom of God, be a peacemaker. And when you infuse peace into the world, you are a blessing and you are blessed. He says, blessed are those who are persecuted. Jesus knew that this counterintuitive, countercultural way of life would put a target on your back, that the world would see that and they would be threatened by that life because it challenges everything they say is good in life. So be ready. He says, you're going to be persecuted. And yet there is blessing even in persecution. Again, that just, it's hard for us to understand that because our minds say, no, I don't want to be persecuted. I don't want people to look at me differently or treat me differently. I certainly don't want them to treat me harshly because I'm a believer. That doesn't sound like blessing. And yet Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 1, Verse 6, and all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him, and even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, happiness more than happiness, blessing, a glorious joy, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Could there be any bigger blessing than the salvation of your soul? He says sometimes that comes through and on the other side of persecution, of difficult things happening, of grief. And so we see this, we hear words like grief and and perseverance and persecution and poverty and waiting, and we think, oh, are you sure? And we see that the blessings are often unseen or in the future, and we say, are you sure? And what does Jesus say? He says, I'm coming. I've come to give you abundant life, and that's what it looks like. So redefine your view of the good life and live the kingdom life. At the beginning of his book, The End of Me, Kyle Adelman tells about when he posted on Facebook a question that he wanted to see what people would would respond to this question. And so here's the question he posted. Jesus became real when blank. 
He just put it out there and let people respond. Within a couple of hours, he had all kinds of responses. And many of them were generic, things like, Jesus became real when I could no longer pretend that I was in control. He became real when I had to admit that I couldn't fix things. He became real when I had no one else to turn to. But then most of the answers and most of the responses were more specific. Things like, when I was told I had three months to live because of stage four cancer. When I found out my husband was having an affair and I never felt more alone in my life. When it became clear that I had lost control of my addiction. When the divorce papers arrived in the mail and I could no longer pretend to to fix things. When my depression became too much for me to bear. When I was forced out of my 30-year job and had no idea what I was going to do. When I was pregnant, my kidneys were failing, and the doctors told me to abort. I prayed for the first time in a long time. My daughter is now 23 years old. When my husband was killed in a car accident, when the ultrasound said that the baby's heart had stopped beating. And then he said, I came across this one response that seemed to capture all of the other responses. This simple response that seemed to include everything that everyone was saying. Jesus became real to me, and this was the response, when I came to the end of me. You see, the world says, and we so often believe, that the good life, that true happiness comes when I put me first, meet my needs, my desires, my wants, promote self, preserve self. If someone gets in the way, move them aside, ignore them, get rid of them, because I am about me. My truth, my desires, what I want, what I need, what I think is best. But Jesus comes along when we finally get to the end of me. And that's when we discover abundant life. Life in God's kingdom. True joy and blessing and happiness that extends beyond circumstances. That's when we find Jesus. And that's when we finally find life. So how is your life? How would you answer that question? When does Jesus become real to you? It probably won't happen until you get to the end of you. And God can help you with that transformation. Do you want the abundant life? Do you want a life of blessing? This next year, I hope you have an extremely, incredibly blessed life. I don't know about luck. I don't know about good fortune. But I hope that you live as a citizen of God's kingdom, a citizen of heaven. Because if you do, if you deny yourself, take up your cross and follow Jesus, I can assure you, you will be blessed. It's the best way to live. If you don't have abundant life, you need to decide to make Jesus Lord of your life. Abundant life comes in and through him. So what better way to begin a new year than to give your life to Jesus, to confess your faith, to be baptized into Christ? Would you do that today? If we can encourage you in some way, we want to do that. We'll pray for you. We'll encourage you. We'll support you. In just a minute, we'll have a couple of shepherds and their wives in the parlor, a little room right behind me in the hallway. You can exit, go around there. They will love to pray for you. Or you can come down to the front. And we'll do whatever we can to serve you.
Abundant life can be yours, a life of blessing. Embrace it. Let's stand and sing. Bring Christ your broken life, so marred by sin. He will 